As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask NT Wright Anything podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show with me, Justin Briley. I'm Premier's Theology and Apologetics Editor, and I have the distinct privilege of sitting down on a regular basis with Tom Wright to ask him your questions. And today we're going to be looking at more questions that came in from the NT Wright discussion group on Facebook. Uh, so thanks again to Luther Cabin, who uh, moderates that group and has harvested these questions. I'm, I'm a member of the group and you're very welcome to join it too if you would like to, uh, if you're on Facebook and you want a place where people like discussing the thought and theology of N.T. Wright. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you enjoy listening to Tom himself talking about that. And uh, just a thank you to Medina Rychek in Wisconsin, who said, I'd love to thank you for all that you share, all the books you write, Tom. As a mum of four little children under the age of six, I'm a little busy, but I love listening to your podcast over and over again all day while I take care of my kids and do running. I have a question, though. Would you be interested in having your podcast translated into Russian? I'm a linguist, originally from St. Petersburg, Russia. Medina, thank you very much. I will try and get back to you on that amazing suggestion. Uh, who knows? It may be possible. Um, great to hear from you. Thank you for leaving some feedback to the show. You can do that yourself um, if you're listening on podcast today. Why not rate and review the show wherever you're listening from? Helps other people to discover the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. And of course, the show is brought to you as ever by Premier SBCK and NT Write Online. Now, as I revealed last week, we've got some really exciting stuff coming up very soon. Thursday, the 13th of May, I'm going to be uh, hosting a live stream conversation between Tom and Douglas Murray. Uh, Douglas Murray is a journalist and author, associate editor of The Spectator magazine, a leading political commentator, and the author of books including The Madness of Crowds, Gender, Race and Identity. And he's described himself as a Christian atheist. This will be a fascinating uh, conversation because we're going to be talking about identity, myth and miracles. And can we find a story to live by in a post-Christian world? We'll be examining why Douglas, in a sense, misses Christianity. He was a Christian at one time. Will this conversation with Tom make any difference to that? You'll have to be there to find out. So that's Thursday, the 13th of May for that live streamed conversation. If you want to make sure that you're in the right place at the right time, looking at the right thing on YouTube or Facebook, do go to thebigconversation.show to click on the third episode of our Big Conversation series, which is what that will be, that live streamed episode of the show. And of course, if you can make it, we would love to see you two days later at Unbelievable The Conference, Saturday the 15th of May. You can book your place at unbelievable.live. 
Tom Wright is going to be there very much uh, bringing us this theme of how to tell the greatest story ever told alongside some brilliant other contributors like Tom Holland, Claire Williams, Sean and Josh McDowell. I'll be hosting it along with Ruth Jackson. It's all online, so you can visit, you can be part of it from wherever you are in the world. And um, we've even got a pay what you want option. Okay, so finance shouldn't be any barrier to be able to attend. This isn't just another Zoom conference, though. We've got loads of time for really engaging Q&A throughout the day and a special edition, a live edition uh, of the Ask Anti Write Anything show. So uh, you'll hear that in due course on the podcast, but you can be part of it live if you're there on the day. Unbelievable.live for Unbelievable Conference 2021 on Saturday, the 15th of May. For now, let's get into your questions. Welcome back to today's edition of the podcast and uh, excited to be bringing you more questions from the NT Right discussion group on Facebook. Thanks again to Luther Caban, who's the moderator for harvesting these questions for us. And I'm sorry we could only take a, a small number, actually, of the questions that were submitted. Um, but we'll be back to questions that have come in as normal from those who submit it via uh, those who are registered with the website from next week. So askntright.com if you would like to submit your question in the usual fashion and have a chance of it being asked to Tom in a future podcast. Um, let's go straight in here, Tom, um, to Rodney Stewart Wilcox, who asks... Do you find in Colossians 1.11 a good summary of how you understand the atonement? Now, I think they must have left off uh, some extra verses here, because I, I think to, for, for this question to make sense, it must be Colossians 1.11 to 14. And I'm I'm very happy to read it from my Bible in front of me, Tom, but you might like to read it from what you've got in front of you. Sure. No, no, you, you, you read it from okay. yours and we'll see, see which version I've got. have got the NRSV. That's, that's what I tend to go with most of the time. Um, so here we go. Um, may you be strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins so yes yeah, so uh, a good summary of how you understand the atonement tom <laughs> in some ways yes i'm always wary of this because whenever the new testament talks about what jesus achieved on the cross i say that rather than the word atonement for reasons that will become clear um it, it never does it the same way twice so that each time Paul refers to it, he, he gives it a different nuance according to the argument which he is mounting at the time. He never stands back and says, um, OK, this is the big abstract truth of which everything else is just a, a playing out. Um, the only time he does that sort of thing is when he says in 1 Corinthians 15, <clears throat> the Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Well, OK, thanks, Paul. We take that. Now, what does that actually mean? And here's one of the spellings out. It's not the only one. And I would want to say rather carefully, balance this out with Romans 3, with Romans 8, with Galatians 3 and 4, etc., etc. However, having said that, there are several things which are packed into Colossians 1, 1 to 14, um, well, um, actually, particularly 12, 13 and 14, which are absolutely central to the New Testament doctrine of what happened. And one is, and you wouldn't necessarily pick this up until, it's, until you're alerted to it, 
This is Exodus language. It's Passover language, talking about being rescued from one kingdom and translated into another. Sounds like Israel being rescued from Egypt and taken off to their inheritance, to their promised land. And uh, that's confirmed by the fact that in verse 14, he talks about um, that in whom we have the redemption, the Greek word is apolutrosis, usually in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, where we have apolutrosis language, that is regularly a reference to God redeeming Israel from the slave market of Egypt. So it starts off as the idea of somebody buying back a slave and giving them their freedom, but that is made much more specific and historical in Scripture because Israel was a slave in Egypt. So this is very much Exodus language. Jesus chose Passover to do what had to be done, um, to go to Jerusalem and make the final confrontation, knowing where it would lead. That wasn't accidental. Jesus did not choose, say, the Day of Atonement. So what's this bit about then the forgiveness of sins in verse 14? Redemption, well, Israel wasn't being forgiven sins when Israel was redeemed from Egypt because they hadn't gone to Egypt as a result of sin. They'd gone there because there was a famine and Joseph happily was sent on ahead and that that all worked out. However, in the great exile, the exile in Babylon, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, etc., 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 are clear that they've been exiled because of their sin, because of their idolatry, so that when God did the new exodus, this would not only be a Passover, it would also be the forgiveness of their sins. You see that in that lovely passage in Isaiah 40. Uh, Comfort, comfort, my people, your God keeps saying, because you've received from the Lord's hand double for your sins. It's time for release. And so, in a sense, all of that is resonating in the background here. So you've got then the big picture of the cosmic victory of God over the powers of darkness and the cosmic rescue of God's people. And then the heart, the personal heart of that, which is that we receive forgiveness of sins. So many Christians have tried to do the one without the other. If it's forgiveness, it can't be cosmic or vice versa. No, in the Bible, it's always both, as John makes clear, as Paul makes clear. So, yeah, this is a pretty good shot, actually. Um, But, of course, as I say, it needs to be drawn out and nuanced with other passages as well. So thanks to Rodney Stewart Wilcox. That's a great question. It is a great question, and and in a sense, uh, but simply reinforces the fact that, as you've said very often, that the atonement is such a multifaceted thing it would be hard to simply arrive at yeah. one yeah. one passage and say this this sort of sums it all up yeah. um but um thank you so much that that was helpful now obviously the, the next question that we've got keys in on the fact that there are many people many people following other religious paths that do not accept this way of understanding our relationship with god and being reconciled um jake jesse is a member of the group who asks for someone not born and raised in a Christian environment, for example, Jews, Muslims, even non-Abrahamic faiths, etc. Will God reject them as non-image bearers in Christ's way, truth and life? So are we evangels to essentially say, how dare you continue the religion you were born and raised in? Why don't you convert to the religion that I was born and raised in? And I suspect for Jake, there's a sense that that just feels a little bit um, patronising, arrogant. Um, And I believe knowing that another one or two of the questions that Jake asked, which um, we haven't had time to include here, I believe his church is currently doing a sort of uh, evangelistic campaign, which is very much about 
you need to make a decision before you die in order to be saved. And I think that's sort of partly where this this whole question is coming from. But, but yeah, to, to the question itself, what, where, where do you go with that? Is it is it is it sort of essentially saying God will reject them as non-image bearers um, yeah. if they simply are not following our yeah, path? Yeah, it's it's so difficult, isn't it? Because uh, we're going back to the New Testament and we're going back to Jesus. Jesus was a first century Palestinian Jew, a Judean uh, lived in Galilee and, and to and fro to Jerusalem. Uh, all his first followers were Jewish. Um, the church was a Jewish institution. Paul, even at the very moment when he's going out to the Gentiles and telling them that the world has a new Lord and it's Jesus, the whole point of what he's saying is that Jesus is Israel's Messiah. So that when Paul faces the question, what about Jews who don't believe in Jesus? Uh, it's, it's like the younger brother and the older brother in the parable. The younger brother finds himself now uh, as, as the father's son after all and the older brother is cross but the father still wants to bring the older brother back in and that's the picture that I think Paul has in mind in Romans 9 to 11 so Jews are a special case um, come back to Muslims and others in just a minute but the, the, the way that uh, Jake sums it up I know only too clearly where he's coming from and our problem is with this idea of religion and the different religions Christianity is not ultimately a religion, either in the ancient sense or in the modern sense. Christianity is about Jesus. And the question is not, oh, here's a religion, here's a system, here's a way of being religious, here's a way of saying your prayers, here's a way of hoping for something hereafter. Christianity is all simply about Jesus. And the question is, was, was Jesus of Nazareth, Israel's Messiah, the embodiment of the Creator God, the Lord of the world, or wasn't he? Because if he wasn't, if he is simply one great teacher among many, then, well, good luck to you, whatever way you follow. But if he really was that, then we are not at liberty to say, oh, well, this is just our religion, but good luck to you if you're doing something else. As any first-century Jew would tell you, if somebody comes along and says, so-and-so is the Messiah, then either this means we've all got to sign up here or it means they are dangerously wrong at this point. You can't collapse back into a sort of 18th century tolerance and say, oh, well, if you think Jesus the Messiah is the Messiah, that's very nice for you. But of course, the other people will have other opinions. No, because the whole point is about God doing something in the middle of history. And either that is true or it's a major deception. We in the modern West have flattened it out into different forms of what we have called religion, which is an 18th century notion the way we hear the word religion. So we need to unpick the question in order to be able to address it properly. Then I want to say, apropos, including many, many people who think of themselves as practicing Christians. Actually, there are many who think of themselves as practicing Christians and may go to church on Sunday and whatever, but who haven't even begun to understand what it means that Jesus was the embodiment of Israel's God and he died and rose to launch God's new creation. And I would say, watch out. You may be following a false version of something, even if it's got the name Jesus attached to it. Equally, there may be many in Islam, um, and I have met such people who actually have a sense that there is something different. There's something which is beckoning them. 
and some of them realize that this is the one they call Issa, and even sometimes while staying within a Muslim family, though that's very difficult, they may reach out in faith to Issa, to Jesus, and Jesus will welcome them. And so it's not up to us to say, oh, you're a Muslim, so you don't count, or whatever. Um, we have to be very careful of that. And of course, yes, there is always the danger of arrogance. I, I was born and raised in a Christian home, and I'm hugely grateful for that. But many others born in homes exactly like mine have thrown it all over and gone different ways. For whatever reason, I have stuck with this and developed and, and, and gone on. So we do have to beware of arrogance, partly because the Jesus who we worship, who we follow, is the one who said to people, there are many who come from east and west and sit down at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God, while the children of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness because they've presumed. So though he was there talking about Jews and Gentiles, it's quite possible that that could apply further on to people in our own day as well who imagine they're all right, while in fact God is doing new things out yes. there, as it were. I mean, I, I have to say at a personal level, your work, Tom, has has helped me enormously with that cognitive distance that can occur when you have lived a life essentially seeing the Christian gospel as we you need to make this particular decision in order to ensure you go to that place instead of that place. And that basically is what yes. it all boils down yes. to, because yes. at that yes. point, you're constantly thinking, yes. Yes. yes, you know, everyone around me is is essentially damned uh, at this point now. I found it incredibly helpful to say to, to replace that sort of way of thinking of it with God has launched something in Jesus Christ, this new creation, this kingdom. And we are joining in with that. And and it sort of suddenly takes the weight off your shoulders of I suddenly have to do this job of ensuring yes, as yes, many people yes. get, quote unquote, saved yes. and realize that there's something much bigger than me going on. There's this grand narrative, this story that I'm part of. And, it, and for me, that helps enormously with the kind of thing I suspect Jake is feeling which is this sort of yeah. awful sense of gosh it all rests on me and everyone else is wrong and how are we going to work this out um I don't know if that yeah. makes sense yeah. to you yeah. Tom yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's it's very it, it makes a lot of sense and and I know exactly that world that, that you're describing and that he apparently was describing um and it, it's it's very difficult because once one recognizes that this, uh, you know, decide tonight, say this prayer, then you're going to heaven. OK, job done. Pass on to the next person sort of thing. That's a caricature, but that is often how it comes across. At the same time, when we react against that, that can be an excuse for sitting back and saying, oh, well, God will do whatever God's going to do. So I'm not going to go through the embarrassing business of telling this friend down the road that actually they need to accept Jesus into their life, because there are times mm -hmm. when that's precisely what I need to say to the friend down the road and that's we, we have to avoid the oversimplifications while being ready for the challenge and that's why i found myself that praying for friends uh, praying for neighbors for, for people that i know only vaguely in that context when then an opportunity occurs suddenly and they ask a question then ah, well, I have actually been praying for this person, mm. so I'm going to take my courage in both hands and say this. But simply to say, this is what we have to sort of yell at the world, say this prayer or you're going to hell, then that is pretty much a caricature. Doesn't look to me as though people are doing that too much in the, in the yeah. first century. Trent Faircloth has a question. Um, it's more of a pastoral one. Dr. Wright, I am a chaplain mm. in the fire service and I encounter death often. 
what is your pastoral advice in comforting and praying with those who have lost loved ones many thanks now i'm sure there's much you could say here tom but you perhaps just a, a few thoughts uh, at least uh, uh, the first thing to say is i this has not been my ministry i have ministered obviously to people who have lost loved ones but much of my ministry was with students um where comparatively few people are, are dying in student communities some do um or with uh, other situations where i haven't had to take a lot of funerals the average clergy person of five years standing has taken more funerals than I who have been ordained for 45 years. Um, so I'm not hugely experienced. However, it does seem to me there are one or two constants. And, and one is simply to stand with people in their grief. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And sometimes that wordless presence is a very powerful prayer. But then within that grieving with those who grieve there are the two prayers one entrusting the loved one to god's safekeeping without presupposing that we know the state of their heart or mind or whatever um, but just lord this is somebody we have loved and lost and you love them as well and we want to entrust this person to you and a good funeral service does precisely that of course but then praying for comfort for the person we're with and for family and praying that God will be with them and will give them strength day by day and hour by hour to meet the wave upon wave of sorrow that is going to come upon them. I mean, I would say from a human psychological point of view, many people don't realize that the human frame is hardwired to do grief. It's like when you've eaten something that disagrees with you and your body is hardwired to get rid of it, either by vomiting or whatever. Um, that's very unpleasant, but the body can do that. In the same way, the emotions do know how to do grief, and we have to let that process happen and not try and stop it or say, oh, no, 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 you mustn't do that. Because when Paul says in First Thessalonians 4, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. He doesn't mean I don't want you to grieve. He means I don't want you to do hopeless grieving. I want you to do hopeful grieving. And then in that context, we can pray with them for the hope which can hang on in and through the grieving process. That's what I would. Thank you so much. I hope that gives some some help, Trent, and God bless you in that very important role that you have there um so important to have chaplains in those places where people are you know facing life and death situations on, almost on a daily basis um final question uh from another member of the anti-right discussion group on facebook this has been a special couple of podcasts we've been doing specifically tackling some of their questions uh by the way if you want to go and find it if you are on facebook and you'd like to sign up and be part of that group you're they're more than happy to welcome you there um just you're just looking for the anti-right discussion group on facebook i'm sure you'll you'll find it soon if you type that in uh jordan wright asks when is tom's next christian origins and the questions of god coming out now how many of these have you done tom is it four in the series um thus far yes four yeah four I've done New Testament, the people of God, Jesus and the victory of God, the resurrection of the Son of God, and Paul and the faithfulness of God. I am tempted to answer this question by saying soon, <laughs> remembering the lovely line in one of the C.S. Lewis children's stories where 
Aslan says soon, and one of the girls, I think, says, what, what does that mean, Aslan? And Aslan says, I call all times <laughs> soon, um, which is... <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, soon. Okay. Um, God willing, it will happen, but it won't be tomorrow. Um, I've got one or two other projects which are urgently required before I can turn my attention to that book. But if people out there want to be praying for... Um, those next projects, please mm. do, because I need that. The older I get, the easier it would be to say, oh, well, it's time to retire now. Never mind, I won't do the rest of this. But I sort of do want to do um, at least the next volume, possibly the, a sixth one as well. We shall see. So what would the focus be of the next volume as and when it does arrive? Oh, the next one is supposed to be on the Gospels. It will be the Gospels and the story of God. In other words, Granted what I've said about early Christianity and particularly granted what I've said about Jesus himself, why would people in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, whenever, want to tell his story this way? There might have been many other ways to tell the Jesus story. Why did they choose to do it this way? And what particular things are they highlighting in the way they tell the story? Because that then helps us in how we tell the Jesus story, reflecting there are different ways of doing it, although they have a commonality and we have to learn what the inside of that looks like. Thank you so much, Tom, for being with us on today's edition of the show. And thank you for all the questions that have come in from the NT Right discussion group on Facebook. And uh, we'll be back to more of the questions that have come in the usual way uh, on next week's edition of the show. But for now, thanks for being with us and see you next time, Tom. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's edition of the podcast. Just a reminder, our show partner, NT Write Online, are offering a free ebook from Tom on the book of Acts to podcast listeners. Links are in the show notes. And if you'd like to support the show, uh, then we also have an ebook specifically made from answers Tom has given on the show. Uh, it's called 12 Answers to Questions about the Bible, Life and Faith. And if you go to askntwrite.com and click on give, then you can help to support the show that way um, if you'd like more from the show that's also the place to go in terms of subscribing and getting some of the additional content that's available when you do that you'll be part of our regular newsletter bringing you stuff from tom and we'd love to see you at unbelievable conference saturday the 15th of may unbelievable.live is the place to register and get yourself a ticket you can attend from anywhere in the world and don't forget the curtain raiser as well Thursday the 13th of May uh, do check out that with Douglas Murray the live stream conversation that I'll be hosting between him and Tom Wright uh, more details at thebigconversation.show all of the links from today's episode thanks for being with us